One year, I kind of got an idea, you know, I want to try trap. I like to trap, I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the furball. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Representing trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Purpose and Game Magazine. There's structure from Perigo Gorman. Perg Lennon's articles, the Perg Lennon's ads. Information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because work it ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very much the same as the you got bogged down. They started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down top. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't know, get them better. Trying to set predator traps and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like it gets sheared. You better edit this part out. Yeah, we better. Back in the fur shed. This is Trapping Today. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Thank you for being here. It's great to have you. Great to have you along for the ride. We are brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Cots Brothers has a full line of trapping supplies, traps and snares, lures and baits, books, DVDs, everything you need to get started on the trap line at Cots Bros. We're also brought to you by Onyx Maps. Turn your phone into a fully functioning GPS. Mark your trap locations, run your waypoints, track your movements, and check out the latest aerial imagery and get that landowner information. Um, just a, a really valuable tool you'll use way more often than you think you will. Onxmaps.com. There is a special uh, promo code Onx I mentioned last episode, and that is actually still valid as I record this for the next two days. So until November 30th, you can use the code THANKS30. That's THANKS30 for 30% off of your purchase uh, at onyxmaps.com. You can't do it through the app. They uh, see the thing with the with the store, the App Store, whether you're on Apple or uh, Google Play is they take quite a big cut from any app that's sold through that store. I want to say it's like 30 or 40% of whatever the proceeds are for uh, any sales of the app. So I don't know that for sure, but it's somewhere in that neighborhood. So um, it's hard for any company to offer a discount when you purchase through the app. It, and I don't even think if they wanted to, I don't even think they could. I don't, I don't think that's an option. But th- it, on their own website, on onxmaps.com, that's where you get the discount. And if you're listening to this in time, that thanks 30 will get you 30% off. If you're not in time, uh, the promo code TRAP, T-R-A-P, is still valid. Uh, should be for quite a while, I hope. And that will get you 20% off. Uh, of your purchase at the onxmaps.com site. So check them out. You can use the free trial. You can use the app for a bunch of things, even without the membership. But when you do decide to go ahead and upgrade to that membership, you can use uh, one of those codes, and, and hopefully you will be as excited about using that app as I've been since I've started using it. Finally, we're brought to you by the Trapping Today store. That's where you can find my lures, my two books, and the Mustelid t-shirts. And I thought in the spirit of Thanksgiving, you know, I'm thankful for you guys. And I want to show my appreciation by offering a little discount. You know, everybody else is doing it, right? So this is, it's not Friday, it's not Black Friday, and it's not Monday yet. It's not Cyber Monday. So I don't know what it is. I guess it's just post-Thanksgiving week sale. But I just put this up on the store. Uh, I am offering, let's see, let me check my notes here, make sure I get it right. $10 off any order of $50 or more at the Trapping Today store. And this is going to expire December 4th. So that's... That I believe I have that for Friday following the recording of this episode. So uh, if you order anything $50 or more, you're going to get 10 bucks off. So if, let's say you order like two bottles of lure. Uh, that's 50 bucks, free shipping. 
that is going to get you ten dollars off so you're gonna get that for forty bucks so essentially your first bottle lure was twenty five dollars and you got the second one for fifteen so it's a pretty slick deal uh, same thing with shirts uh, the books whatever it's uh, I, th I think it's a great opportunity so take advantage of that I don't know if I don't know if I'm going to do one again for Christmas. I I may. It just kind of depends on what we how the inventory is looking and it's always a challenge not really knowing how much I'm going to sell and how quickly it's going to sell and how much to invest in future inventory cuz you really don't want something sitting around and not selling. And you also hate to have a lot of demand for something and not have it available because there's always a lag time whether it's lure you gotta order the ingredients certain things have to be aged uh, you have to find the time to sit down and make the lure and bottle it and go through that process and order bottles and labels and everything else uh, the shirts you know you got gotta get the shirts in you gotta get them printed it's a big long process as well so uh, the books are the same way you gotta get those books printed so it's it's always uh, a challenge trying to manage that inventory but I hope that I will be able to start adding a little bit more to the store at some point I, I haven't really that hasn't been a priority lately because I've got a lot of other priorities that I've been working on instead and uh, one of them actually I bought a, I bought like a thousand dollars worth of traps this uh, a week ago and I've been going through those and listing them on eBay and keeping the ones, you know, that's kind of one of my, I guess you could say hobbies. It's something that I I do just when there's an opportunity. It doesn't come around very often, believe it or not. It's usually I average maybe once a year where I'll have a big lot of traps that someone has for sale and I have the opportunity to, to go look at them and, and make a price and, and usually I'm able to get them for what what the seller thinks is a fair price and what I think is a fair price and what my goal is with that that's kind of how I've built this arsenal of traps and, and if you haven't listened you can go back I had an episode quite a long time ago about making money selling traps on eBay selling used traps on eBay and I talked about all the different things that I've learned in my experience selling on eBay that if you know if you want to get into this deal uh, the I could save you a lot of time I guess <laughs> if, if you listen to that episode if you're interested in doing that and you can make a fair amount of money but the problem isn't the uh, you know being able to sell the traps when it comes to the eBay stuff the problem is actually finding in my experience is actually finding the traps for sale that is uh, I could sell 20 times the number of traps that I can find out here for sale and you know what people have available there just isn't much there and maybe that's because I live in an area that doesn't have a lot of people although we have a pretty high per capita number of trappers um, it just isn't you know it, it's not something you can rely on that you're gonna you're gonna have a bunch of people willing to sell traps at a reasonable price and at a large enough quantity that makes it actually worth your time to go and look at them. These ones, I drove about an hour from the house, um, threw the boys in the truck on a beautiful Sunday morning, and we drove out, and and I looked at them, made the purchase, loaded up the truck, and went back home. So it worked out really well that in that case, but it, it's you know it's a, it's a rare thing. But anyway, I've been so I've been going through and listing those and doing that doing a bunch of other things but I do have some ideas on what I want to put up on the on the store I don't think uh, I don't have any plans for more lures right now I had one in mind that I used Martin trapping this fall but I don't think I'll I don't know we'll see I don't think I'll put that up for sale this fall um, I do have a bunch of under ice beaver snares that I've made and have a bunch of materials to make more if anybody's interested in in purchasing some of those for under ice beaver snaring. I know that's a really limited market because it's only a few places where people actually could use those. Pe places where people get consistent ice and can snare beaver under the ice. But I do have uh, a pile of those so I may throw those up on the store. And also I have some tanned fur pelts that, that I may uh, actually Actually, I'm going to talk about that in just a second, but I may put some of those up on the store. 
and I have a bunch of fur that I caught this fall that I'm going to get tanned and haven't found uh, haven't found a final resting place for that fur just yet. So that's an option too. Uh, we'll get into that, but uh, first just a quick overview of this episode. Although I'm already 10 minutes into it, jabbering on about this, and, and uh, I haven't even really got into the meat of the episode yet, but this is going to be like a mishmash of all kinds of different topics, and we're going to go all over the place. This is the miscellaneous uh, junk drawer of podcasts, uh, episodes, I guess you could say. So we are going to go through basically all the emails in the past couple weeks that I have been neglecting and haven't been able to respond to or mention on the podcast or any of that. Uh, we're going to do the tip, the shout out, the book, and the ask. Um, we'll, we'll go through that right away and then we'll get into these emails. I just, just give you a heads up of what's going on with different people in different parts of the country and uh, from, you know, different members of the Trapping Today community. And I had a couple of people email with some really good questions. So I thought I'd, I'd get into that and try to help answer some of those questions as well. Let's start with the Trapping Today tip for this episode. I had a trapper friend call me this week. Uh, he is a couple hours south of me. And it was actually he's kind of interesting because I've seen a few pictures. He he's uh, Cole knows him really well. And th- so... You know, they he he's run his trap line a little bit here and there, and he sends me a bunch of pictures uh, when when there's interesting things, I guess you could say. And he actually caught a gray fox during the early fox and coyote trapping season here, and released it. Um, and it actually is uh, by far the furthest north I've ever heard of gray fox being caught in this state. So that was kind of interesting. The they I guess they've been in that area. There there have been sightings of them in that area over the last couple of years, but they you know really when I was a kid you, you would have had to go about, you know, 5 or 6 hours south of me to find gray fox and now they're 2 hours south. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, the same thing with gray squirrels. You know, we we never had gray squirrels, and we still don't really. But there are certain places they're they're creeping up further up the state, and getting further north all the time. We're seeing them pop up in places that you wouldn't expect. So, yeah. Anyway, he called. Uh, he's Martin Fisher trapping, and he asked me about removing pitch from a Martin pelt, and so this applies to all fur pelts, basically. Uh, how do you remove pitch from a, a fur pelt? And for those of you who aren't familiar with pitch, it's basically like tree sap. So it's sticky, gummy, and it sticks the you know a bunch of the fibers of the fur together, and it makes this kind of uh, rough, bumpy spot. Um, not good. Not good for the value of the fur. Not good for the appearance. And also, if you're trying to flash from the other side and you hit a bump where there's pitch, uh, or a burr, any you know anything that causes a bump there, you're gonna have a high ch- likelihood of cutting a hole in the in the pelt. But anyway, I'll tell you what I used because I've been doing a bunch of Martin here, and I had a few I had to do that with. Is I just use uh, rubbing alcohol, and that's I've just you know put a a little dab of it on, and I I kind of rub it through my fingers, and just kind of work it, work it, work it, and then brush with a with a fur comb or fur brush. Um, and then maybe add a little bit more if it needs a little more and keep brushing and, and a little uh, rubbing alcohol, a little brushing, and it seems to do the trick. So that that's worked for me. I also kind of Googled this real quick, and it looks like there's a bunch of suggestions like when, when pitch gets in your pet or your dog's uh, hair, uh, they recommend olive oil, mineral oil, or peanut butter. So those are things that you can use as well, but... Uh, I don't know, maybe they figured you shouldn't use rubbing alcohol on your dog. I don't know. But anyway, it works for me. So that's just a little tip for getting pitch out of fur. You always want to make sure the pitch and the burrs are are out of that fur um, when you're taking care of it. So, so you make it the most presentable and don't cause any damage. Now, the shout-out. I just got a package from Moyle Mink and Tannery. These are furs that I sent out 
I don't even know if it was a month ago, guys. It was it was definitely less than two months ago. And just incredible, the speed. Uh, you know, they have a new system where you can do everything online and have it prepaid and, and crank that out and, and you send it. And you already have an invoice that shows that you've paid, shows what you're shipping. And uh, I think it speeds up the process on their end. And so it, it makes it more efficient and maybe gets the the tan stuff back to you quicker. I don't know, but I was very impressed with with how quickly uh, they got the job done. But I was more impressed with just the quality of the tan and and how clean, how 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 nice the tan was and how clean the fur was. It was, it was incredible. And I say that a lot, but I, it never ceases to amaze me every time I get stuff back from oils. It, it's like that. You know, occasionally I'll get some like weasels. They'll you'll have some patches of missing fur and stuff, but I think that probably has more to do with my fur handling than it does with the actual uh, tanning process over there. Um, but I sent, I just had a small uh, small shipment. I had a beaver, a couple of otter, and a coyote, and it, they just came out beautifully. the uh, The two otters, they were something that I just, I could not see. I caught those this spring on my, my spring beaver trapping. And I just couldn't see selling an otter for 15 to $30. It just blows my mind that the market would be that low. They're just such a, such a beautiful pelt and, and such a high quality fur. So I thought I, I had no clue what I was going to do with them, but you know what? I'm just going to send them out and pay to get tanned get them back here and then I'll decide once you get tanned you know they're pretty much indefinite shelf life so I did um, I may actually put those up on the trapping today store and see if anyone's interested in buying them uh, if you are interested let me know email me um, and I'll let you know when I put them up if I put them up um, or in the meantime if I think of something I want to do with them uh, I I may do that as well the beaver uh, was just uh, it, it, the beavers cost a lot to get tanned and I, I understand why they're just so much labor but I was kind of like I was looking at this beaver and it was kind of an odd one out and it, it didn't quite fit in you know all my beavers I, I sent to Garrett Volk of Volk Furs in North Dakota and uh, this one I got this one a little later it wasn't quite ready I was wondering about it I wasn't too sure about it, it was a little greasier and like yeah, I don't know if I want to throw this in with with the rest of them and the hair was a little matted and stuff and Garrett might not like this too much I don't know so I thought what the heck I'm just gonna send it to Moyles and see what happens if it's not good I'll just throw it out it came back and it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen I mean it just you could tell no difference they cleaned it up just beautifully it's a beautiful white tan and everything is just incredible on it you wouldn't even know that it was any different looking than any other pelts so uh they boy they did a heck of a job on that um and then the coyote of course the coyote was great so um just a quick just another shout out to moils um I, I think they they obviously do a great job and i don't know of anybody that does as good a job and and uh does as much business as them in, in the tanning industry so Thanks, guys, for, for continuing to crank out beautiful tan pelts for us trappers. The book of the week, the book of this episode, is not a book. I reserve the right to make this not a book because I reserve the right to do whatever I want to. So, so <laughs> this is a D, this is a uh, this is a TV show. So we're gonna call it like the book slash video slash movie slash TV show of the week or episode or whatever. So I don't really watch much TV. We we have a TV, but it's like a Roku, and we don't have any subscription to cable or satellite or anything. So did got rid of that, I, I don't know, a year or two ago. It's best one of the best decisions they ever made. Save a lot of money that way. But anyway, it just picks up whatever's free, right? Um, so you can watch YouTube on it. You can watch uh, different networks that have free stuff, free shows, free movies, whatever. So I was on. I, I was. We were watching the Last Alaskans. You know, I I don't really sit down much, but it was Thanksgiving 
weekend and you know sitting sitting down a little bit spending time with the wife and kids and watching watching tv winding down a little bit nice to relax um and we're watching the last alaskans but you can only watch it so many times there's four seasons i love every minute of it i it continues to be my by far my favorite show on television uh but i thought you know, I want to just kind of switch it up and watch something a little different. So I searched around. I remembered the show Life Below Zero that was, I guess it's still going. It's got, there's a whole pile of seasons. The show's been going on for a long time. But anyway, and we'll probably talk about it in, in the future a little more. But I found this new kind of mini series that was called Life Below Zero, The Next Generation. And it was covering... Uh, the following the lives of people in Alaska who are sort of a younger generation that decide they want to live out in the bush and are living the off-grid bush kind of lifestyle, I guess you could you could say. So a lot of it appears to be quite. I don't. I want to. It's not fake. In Life Below Zero isn't really that dramatized. Not like a lot of the reality shows, but it's definitely. Uh, they, they're definitely trying to send a message that as as trappers and outdoorsmen we can obviously look at and see right through pretty quickly. <laughs> so so some of the show is actually me and the wife going back and forth on how uh, unrealistic or how not um, legitimately bush living <laughs> was going on. Uh, so, that, so that was fun. But really, I mean, the scenery, the of Alaska and all of the drone footage and the just just the beautiful scenery is is more than worth putting up with all of the reality show bull crap that uh that goes on there and the storylines and and the exaggerations and the dramatizations and all that it's just such a beautiful place and I I love that so Life Below Zero Next Generation, if you want to check it out, you might have some, uh, you might enjoy just kind of watching that scenery and seeing uh, some stories of a few people out there. And then finally, The Ask. Um, Guys, the the book, my book, Walter Arnold, Main Trapper, Stories from One of the Last Mountain Men. A lot of you, so many of you have supported me and purchased the book, uh, whether it's through trapping today store or on amazon and a lot of people that have no idea about trapping today or even don't know much about trapping or have much background in trapping at all have been purchasing the book it's blown my mind i i was kind of looking through the numbers and i had a number you know when i decided to start with this book really i was motivated by by things completely unrelated to financial aspects. Um, But at the same time, you know, when your time is short and your time is fairly valuable, as you get older and you get more experience and more productive, your time and you have more responsibilities, your time becomes more valuable. And I always try to kind of, in the back of my mind, have a bit of a price on my time and to keep myself in check and think, you know, am I wasting my time or am I doing productive things with it? Because we only have so much guys on this earth. Um, so we get to take advantage of it and make the best of it. So when I was getting into this book, I, I knew I was going to deal with limited time and I was going to have to sacrifice other things in order to get this done. And I kind of came up with a number of, I had a goal on how many books I wanted to sell and basically how much money I wanted to make to to kind of make it quote unquote worth my time to go through the process and and uh, of course it took way longer than I thought it would take uh, to to actually get the book done it always seems to but I had a number and let's just say that uh, I I published the book sometime in June this year and between June and now. I ha- am well over double that number. So I've been really, really happy about how that has gone. And, and there's just, there's a lot of people. The coolest thing about it is that there's a lot of people that I know that 
are finding this on Amazon because it's getting recommended for whatever reason, whether it's good reviews or subject matter or whatever that related to something they're buying that are not trappers, but they're finding out about this book. They're buying it, they're reading it, and they're getting exposed more to to the trapping lifestyle and having a better understanding of what we do. So I want to continue that. So my ask for this week is that if you have purchased uh, one of those books on Amazon and you haven't left a review, please go ahead and leave a rating and review on Amazon for the Walter Arnold book because uh, the more reviews we get, the more positive five-star reviews, the uh, better opportunity that book gets to be showcased in front of potential buyers and shows up in the recommendations and so on. So we we are able to sell more books, get this out to more people. So go ahead and do that. That's my ask for the week. I appreciate it. Now, let's move into the emails, guys. I told you this was going to be the... Uh, uh, the junk drawer, the not junk, but the the mishmash, the just a wide variety of different things. So I'm gonna bang through a bunch of these. Uh, first off, uh, Eric from Idaho. Always get great emails from Eric. Uh, I love hearing from him. I never get tired of it, Eric. So uh, he he just gave um, a little bit of feedback on the Alaska episode I did with Josh. Um, he he loved it, of course. He's talked about moving to Alaska. And just one of the things I got, I took from this email was how he's, here's, here's the thing. He says, he's talking about, you know, maybe still dreaming about going up there to Alaska. And he says, I'm trying to figure out how to get up there and make a living, living in the bush. And of course, that is the challenge that we all have. You know, if I, if I could make a living um, make the same living I'm making right now and do it in the bush of Alaska, I would be there. I, I would absolutely be there. But I have a job that supports myself and my family, and there's no way that I could uh, I could do that in the bush of Alaska. <laughs> so, so it's not a reality. But there... Th- it's a dream, you know, and it's something that I do think about and I have thought about because that that would be the dream, but you have to produce something in order to make a living and you can get creative, you know, you you could you could do something like like I'm doing with a podcast and writing and YouTube videos and all that other stuff, but to actually you know, to actually have the the same lifestyle as the average American and live up there and do that you you know you're talking we're talking big money you're you're probably you're probably gonna have to gross a couple hundred thousand a year and even the most popular trapping channels on YouTube wouldn't even come close or the most popular podcasts or any of that you know you got to reach a lot of people and we're dealing with a a trapping community that is very small. It's a very small market. So that's a bit of a dead end maybe. But maybe there are other things. You know, with the internet, I, I think about the small rural town that I live in in northern Maine. And unfortunately, you know, we're there's a lot of poverty here. There's, there's not a whole lot of jobs. The numbers of jobs have been shrinking in the past 30, 40 years. We do have the internet and you know people have the ability to make a living online from anywhere in the country but people either don't have the skills or the understanding or the knowledge how to how to actually get that done um, so it, it's it's a challenge I, that's the only thing I can think of is using the internet um, to uh, to to somehow either whether it's working remotely or creating a business for yourself online where you could live anywhere. And then then is where the real freedom comes, right? Then you can go to the bush of Alaska. You can go to northern Maine. You can go anywhere in the country. You could, you know, you could go in the in the dead of the winter, you could go down south and trap in Louisiana. And in the fall you could be up in Michigan, uh, or Minnesota, 
you could go to Maine, you could go to Alaska and trap, you could spring beaver trap back up in Maine, you could, you could bounce around anywhere, you know, if you wanted to live that lifestyle, so just gets a guy thinking, gets the wheels turning, that was, I thought that was an interesting email from Eric, uh, Ken from Kansas, let's see if I can pull this one up, uh, he was giving me some feedback on the Trapping with Dogs podcast, and he said, just a couple quick things after listening to your podcast the other day. You made a comment about trails being posted to notify people of traps in use uh, out in Montana. I, w- I wish that's something they would do here in Kansas. In rural parts where I live, it would be a big help. So, most people, even non-trappers, are somewhat familiar with traps. So if they were posted, I believe they'd be more careful about taking their dogs off a leash and letting them roam too far in those areas. As it is, there are people who walk their dogs on the edges of town or sometimes hunters with dogs and their dog gets caught in a trap, they're upset, they end up either vandalizing the trap or stealing it. But I also see your point about uneducated people or more urbanized people that are unfamiliar with the situation. Posting could cause more fear and more problems for us as trappers. Sorry, I don't have any great ideas uh, for you. On another note, uh, oh, he, and then he was talking about another situation where there was a trapping uh, TV show, and and some, you know, we talked about uh, the image of trappers and and how it's important that to to understand that you represent trappers, and when you're speaking to a large audience, that uh, you know, not to not to be preachy or anything, but uh, you you have to understand that your words mean something and they could impact trappers in a positive way or a negative way. And he mentioned a situation where a uh, somebody did said something that could potentially impact trappers in a negative way, someone from the trapping community. So it's I'm not going to mention who it was or anything, but it's something to keep in mind uh, for all of us. Whether we recognize it or not, that's always that's always something that that I think is important to think about. Um, Zach, so here's with Zach. Um, let's see. He had, uh, he was talking about uh, in Vermont, they had a bunch of anti-trapping sentiment and letters to the editor and stuff. And I sent, he had a question for me about how to respond to the antis. And I, I still, I, I had a little brainstorm for a while. I was going to give a big thing on that, but and do a whole episode on it, but I'm, I kind of lost, <laughs> I lost all those ideas that I had in my head, so maybe we'll come back, but um, I did have an old pamphlet, uh, I have quite a few of them, old pamphlet, copies of an old pamphlet on, it's called, uh, Is Trapping Necessary in the 21st Century, or something along those lines, I was, I'm, I'm sad that I can't tell you right now who printed it, I don't know if it was Fur Bear. I think it was Fur Bears Unlimited, but it it could have been somebody else. But anyway, I've got them in the house. I'm out in the fur shed right now, and I don't have one here. But anyway, it was kind of just a bunch of it's. I guess you could call it a fact sheet on trapping and trappers, and it gave a bunch of different points um, that for people to uh, understand about trapping and and why it's important and the positive um, things that that. Uh, that trappers should should probably think about when communicating with non-trappers. And I just sent it to him, hoping that it would give him a few ideas, and, and he sent me back an email just kind of thanking me uh, for that and and uh, and the all the, the the structure to discuss trapping with people. Um, the reason I bring this email up is I it. I'm going to do this for a limited time so at, while I remember it while supplies last if you place an order on the Trapping Today store send me an email um, send me a message if you want one of these and I'll include it in your uh, in your package so whether that's uh, you, there's a contact form on the store that you can use or you can just email me jrodwood at gmail.com j-r-o-d W-O-O-D at gmail.com. Also, any questions, use that email. And just just say, can you throw in a pamphlet in my order? And and I'll put one of those in. I'll do that until I run out of them. Um, so so you guys, if, if you want 
to uh, to have that kind of to to use in in the future when talking with with anti trappers or talking with non trappers the the general public I I don't know as anything is going to convince an anti trapper but anyway I'll I'll include those if you send me an email and remind me and let me know that you want one okay uh, Kyson in Utah had something about uh, oh he was talking about beaver pelts and I will I'm gonna email him back about that and uh, that was just a reminder for me that I am gonna put some pelts up on the store most of my stuff is already committed for this year but if you if you're interested in some tan pelts from fur that I catch let me know because I I can start a list and I I can uh, save some aside as they come in from the tannery. Okay, who is next? Let's see, we got can. How about, uh, let's see, I had a Casey from Missouri. Yeah, this was a good one. Okay, Casey, a new trapper from Missouri. And a couple years ago, somebody kind of showed him the ropes and introduced him into trapping. And he is absolutely loving it as most of us do when we get started trapping. He said, uh, I'm writing to you today because I'd like to get the greatest use out of the beavers we'll trap this year. The meat, we're dehydrating for jerky. The pelts will flesh and stretch. But I don't know where to send the casters, tails, or claws and can't seem to find any info on who buys those. I stumbled across your article from 2018. This was a blog article I wrote on trappingtoday.com. So he obviously doesn't know about the podcast yet, but I'm going to respond to him and give him a heads up about the podcast. Thought I'd see if you had any info or advice for a novice trapper. Um, thank you in advance. And then blah, blah, blah. Okay, so uh, first off, Caster, guys, this is a perfect opportunity. I'm going to mention this at the end of the episode, but Cots Brothers is buying Caster uh, very aggressively. I think the number they quoted that I've been quoting for them is like 80 bucks a pound for dried, fully dried Caster. So the prices are great. You need to be taking advantage of that. Most any lure maker will buy Caster. The uh, auction house fur harvesters will buy caster. Grunwald Fur and Wool is buying caster this year. So if you're in a location where they have pickups, they will buy it as well. So there are plenty of places to sell your caster. But um, I'm I'm going to recommend, obviously, Cots Bros. And uh, you can just ship that off to them. If you, uh, Casey, if you are in an area uh, where you have a local fur buyer or a lure maker, that's probably better because you, if you're just only going to catch a few beavers, your shipping cost is is going to be, you know, going to take out of some of that profit. If you got six or eight beavers, that's probably, you know, plenty to ship to Cots Bros, and, and your shipping will be pretty pretty minimal. Um, actually, I, let me see, I'm going to do, I'll do this thing a little bit early, I guess. Let's go to Cots Bros, we'll go to the blog, and we'll check out the details um, we're always in the market for raw materials glands caster essence etc um, call 815-273-2344 or email kyle k k a t z or k k a a t z two k's two a's t z msn.com sorry uh, for shipping delivery instructions we pay shipping on all glands caster and skunk essence so they will pay for that shipping cost, so um, don't worry about um, about the shipping uh, when it comes to that. I'm I'm assuming you're going to want to have somewhat meaningful quantity in order to ship that, but uh, yeah, they're going to pay shipping, so that's good. Um, now you asked about the tails and you say the claws, etc. So <clears throat> that's where it gets a a little bit more challenging. So the Beaver tails, you have a couple of different markets there. You have the leather and you have the oil. <clears throat> and the there are certain people who will buy beaver tails for leather. However, it's a market that gets flooded very, very quickly. And the prices are not that high you know, relative to the volume. So the... Uh, 
unless you're getting a large quantity, 20, 30, 40, 50 or more beavers, you may have, uh, you may struggle there. So what I would recommend is <clears throat> just check, maybe check around. If you have any local fur buyers, you might check and see if they're, they're buying tails. If, uh, get on to trapperman.com, go to the, the trap shed and maybe you can put up an ad for some tails. Uh, I would say your best bet is if you have a large enough quantity that you can ship that in a flat rate, priority mail flat rate box anywhere in the country, uh, either a medium or a large flat rate box, stick them in the freezer in the box, have the box packed solid full of tails so that you're going to be most economical in your shipping. Have it in a plastic bag or two plastic bags um, and because there's probably going to be some thawing out. Do it this, do it in the wintertime when, when things are cold and uh, see if anybody's looking to buy tails. And you're probably looking at maybe $1 to $3 per tail. Um, the bigger ones will sell better. And if somebody's already kind of gotten what they need, you're going to have a hard time finding it. Option number two, make your own beaver tail oil for trapping lure. So you can do this by basically just cutting up the tail tails into chunks and sticking them in a glass jar, closing the lid, and putting them out in the sun for a few months and or in the heat. It doesn't have to be uh, out necessarily outside. And uh, those will render down and you'll get uh, oil that, that floats to the top. That is beaver tail oil. Pour that off into a smaller container and you've got an excellent lure to put at some dirt hole sets. Option number three, I've actually heard people that eat beaver tails and uh, eat beaver tail soup. I'm not ready to try it, but it's real fatty. I mean, if you're in a really cold climate and you need, you know, cold climate without any other inputs living off the land, you need fat to survive. So it can be a pretty, you know, it was something that was uh, the natives in northern climates uh, took advantage of and it's something you could try out for some natural nutrition. Uh, again, I'm not ready to try it, but um, you might check that out. As far as claws, I don't know any uh, market for claws right now. Uh, there are some people that use the, the whole feet and they'll they'll throw them down a dirt hole for coyote sets or whatever. So that, those will work. Uh, you can use them maybe if you got a dog and you want to give them something to chew on. Uh, those can uh, can be okay for that. If you have anything like claws and skulls and teeth and all kinds of weird stuff, go to furbuyer.com. And that is the Moscow Hide and Fur out in Idaho. That's their website. And they buy all kinds of weird things. Now, the prices aren't exactly, aren't always going to be spectacular. You're going to have to ship stuff. It's not there's, they take limited amounts of certain things, but anything weird and unique, there's a good chance they're buying it. So I'm on the site right now, just kind of looking. I went through to Beaver. Um, looks like they're buying. Uh, they're full up. They don't need any dried beaver pelts. They're buying some beaver on the carcass. Um, limited extra pale beaver. If you have an extra pale one, they might be interested in that. Um, let's see, white, if you catch a white beaver, get something real crazy. Uh, they're buying casters, and they're not, uh, as of this writing, they weren't paying that much. But I don't see anything on claws, so they're not buying any claws right now, as far as I can tell. They'll buy some other animals, they'll buy claws. Like, uh, I'm looking at Canadian lynx. They'll buy, if you remove the hair, front claws, they'll pay up to 50 cents each. Rear claws, up to 25 cents each. They'll buy the skull for 10 bucks, uh, canine teeth for 50 cents each, that sort of thing. So just check that out. It doesn't look like there's any market for beaver claws right now, but that's something that uh, you always want to check in on ahead of time uh, just in case. Hope that helps. Casey, thanks for emailing. Next email from Brian, and Brian is in the Midwest. I can't remember the state. We've emailed in the past, and I, I used to know which state you were in, Brian, but I forgot, so sorry about that. But 
somewhere in the Midwest, either Iowa or Michigan, something like that. But anyway, he asked about um, some thoughts on fur prices. He's looking for some input on. Heard on the Trap House podcast. I think I mentioned that last week. Uh, Guy Grunwald called in and they talked about the ranch mink situation out in Denmark and culling all of the mink because of coronavirus. And there was this different strain of virus in the mink herd there that uh, they were concerned about it being able to, I, I think it was transmitted to humans to a limited extent and the virus had mutated. So this coronavirus is something that, you know, I know a lot of you guys are not, uh, I shouldn't say, a lot of people aren't taking it very seriously and turning it into something political, which has been very interesting to watch and to see how how this has been politicized. But anyway, just trying to look at it from a scientific sort of non-political perspective, this virus is very new and there's a lot of things about it that people just do not know or understand yet. We just don't know. And so one of those things is that the virus has the ability to mutate. And it mutated in these mink farms and there was a new strain of the virus that they're very concerned if it got out into the general public, general population, they would not be able to... uh, The current vaccines that are being... Uh, researched and tested and going through all these trials would not be effective against this mutation. That was the concern. So out of an abundance of caution, government said, boom, shut down. You are going to kill all mink uh, in the entire country. Um, Made that kind of edict on all mink farmers and the farmers said, hang on just a second. You don't really have the right to do that, which turns out a, a court a judge ruled that no, the government did not have the authority to force all of the mink ranchers or mink farmers to kill all of all of their animals. So, as a result, my understanding is that that actual culling of the mink herd is going to take place or is taking place at a lesser extent than previously thought, but it's still significant. There's still a significant number of ranch mink that are being killed because of the virus. And the overall upshot for the fur market is the reduction in ranch fur would mean a, in theory, would mean more demand for wild fur. Um, I, I, It can't be, it's not necessarily a negative thing but I'm not really ready to say it's this huge positive I think there are potential positives that would result from this but uh, I don't know I'm I guess I guess it's kind of a wait and see thing I, I hate to to do that I hate to give a flaky answer but uh, I I think that overall just the the slowdown in the economy worldwide and the lack of demand for for fur in general has a much greater impact than uh, you know f- through five to fifteen million ranch mink. I mean that's a that's a big number, but again, not all those animals are going to be killed. Uh, the numbers are going to be lower than we had initially thought. Um, but more importantly, the you know, the, the the demand drives everything. And there's still a lot of fur that that hasn't moved. There's a lot of fur at retail outlets that hasn't moved. And I think Guy did an excellent job of explaining the buildup in China. And, you know, you hear about China a lot and about the economic development there. And, you know, the government has really guided the uh, industrial business economic development for that entire country you hear about these ghost towns in China there's the ghost cities there are these entire cities that were built in anticipation of them being filled up with people in this booming economy and nobody's there they're they're ghost they're they're 
There are huge skyscrapers and buildings and hotels and shopping malls that are all empty. Um, the you know anything government planned uh, oftentimes is is uh, not necessarily done with a great deal of wisdom, in my opinion. And th- these, you, you know, I guess you could just say they got ahead of themselves. And the economy wasn't growing as fast as they thought it would. You're also dealing with demographic issues where China had this like one-child policy for forever and they're starting to pay for it now where the population growth is is slowing and there aren't as many young people entering the economy and as consumers. So anyway, there, there's, there was a lot of buildup. And what Guy had mentioned was that there was all this need for inventory to fill these malls, uh, fill the racks with fur coats. And a great deal of fur was purchased during that time as a, you know, because they needed to fill the space, fill the retail space. And they anticipated, like any other business person starting up, like, this is going to be great, right? And then reality hits. So when the fur wasn't selling as fast as they thought, well, <clears throat> everybody was thinking about what happened in the past. You know, I've talked about this before with any commodity, with the fur market, with the cattle cycle, you know, um, oil production, everything. Producers said, oh, man, wow, these Chinese are buying everything that we can sell for fur and the prices are great. Let's make more. So they bred more mink. They kept more mink back. And the herds increased and increased and increased. And then we had the oversupply that we've been dealing with for three, four years now. So there's the coronavirus situation and there's the overall economy, economic situation. And actually, if you look back at at even like the U.S. economy, not only the U.S., the, the U.S., China, Russia... Before coronavirus even hit, the we were entering a period of, of economic slowdown. Uh, we were at a point in the business cycle where things were slowing down. We were headed for some sort of, uh, a lot of people believed that we were headed for some sort of a recession economically. We were just at that point in the cycle where it was bound to happen. And uh, the, the coronavirus, things went crazy, right? And... Uh, so so much has happened now with with the massive drop off in spending and economic activity, but then the huge increase in government spending and the Federal Reserve and monetary policy and all that stuff. It just been out of control. But there's still this kind of background of an economy that was was entering a slow period anyway. And so I don't know if I answered any questions there. Or just raised more questions, but. I really don't know whether the the reduction in mink is going to have a massive impact on the fur market. I do think that it's going to have some positive impact, but I don't know the extent of that impact just yet. Uh, he mentioned something about beaver and otter. I don't think beaver and otter are going to be a uh, good replacement for mink. Um, I think... Uh, from the little bit that I know about the markets, that um, wild mink, muskrat, raccoon, marten, and maybe fisher are more likely to benefit from the an increase in ranch mink prices or, or a lack of supply of ranch mink. Beaver and otter... Uh, mo- otter don't seem to fit in quite well with with um with that market for some reason I'm really not 100% sure why um it may have something to do with the reason that beaver don't do well with increased ranch mink prices and that's because beaver beaver are not a good replacement for ranch mink and beaver require a massive amount of labor to process and so they're kind of the end of the line when it comes to um the sort of fur as a substitute so long term it might it might be a positive I, I'm not sure but we've we've a long way to go before we figure that out 
Finally, he asked about the with the meat processors be, processors being shut down due to COVID. Uh, would that mean less hides and less leather? Would that help us? And I think short answer is no. The the meat processors, uh, particularly, uh, yeah, it's been it's been quite a while now. The there was a slowdown. There was a a huge bottleneck with COVID. You know, people that worked in the processing plants. We're, we're contracting COVID, and some of those plants were required to shut down. Uh, and that caused a huge mess in the cattle industry. I, I read about it a lot. You know, I get I get all these different cattle market publications and so on. And it, it hurt for a couple weeks, and then the plants went back online, and they made up for the lost capacity. You know, beef prices packed... Uh, Packaged beef prices went sky high. We as cattle producers did not see any higher price. In fact, our prices were in many cases lower because we cattle producers could not get their animals processed um, or sent. You know, feed feeders could not get those animals processed, so the demand was down for live animals. Although the demand was way up for for uh, packaged beef. Um, but anyway, the the market recovered pretty quickly after kind of um, things that they were able, the plants were able to get back up and running and I haven't heard much since then so I don't know if you know there's still issues with plants shutting down there may be you know COVID may come back and rage through those areas again hopefully people are getting a little smarter with uh, social distancing and and uh, masks and everything else and sanitizing and all that so they're not spreading a bunch of coronavirus you know those packing plants are pretty tight working conditions and i can see how a virus could spread pretty uh pretty quickly through those places so um, hopefully there's some measures that have been put in place to uh, to prevent or, or reduce the likelihood that that those situations pop up and people are acting quickly. If you get sick, you go home and, and uh, isolate and all that. So I really don't think there is any interruption in the leather market. And to be honest, there was, the market for beef hides is so ridiculously low right now uh, that I it's not even a bump, not even a blip. I mean, I I don't I don't I can't quote numbers right now, but I'll throw something out. I think I think. Uh, 20, 30 years ago, we were getting 10 times what, what you get now for, for a beef hide. It's, it's just, it's almost worth nothing. So sad, but true. That's the state of that market. But thanks for the questions, Brian, and, and hope that that was somewhat helpful, or at least got you thinking about some of those things. Now I had Mason from Missouri and Jared from Michigan and those I saved those the longest, most uh, detailed sets of questions for last, and we don't have time for them. We're running out, so we're at about the hour mark here. We're gonna cut her off, and I'm going to go into those questions in next week's episode. We'll we'll cover those, and then uh, we're gonna move on and continue on with our conversation with Josh, a friend from Alaska. I'm really excited to go through that stuff more and share more of that conversation with you guys um, and hopefully more coming in the future with Josh. I'm hoping uh, to get a chance to talk to him again pretty soon. So stay tuned for that, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. And finally, Cots Brothers Lures is, like I mentioned earlier, purchasing very aggressively all glands, uh, caster, and skunk essence. So if you want to take advantage of that opportunity and because, you know, those markets are not always great. So, you know, when they come up, when there's the opportunity, you really want to take advantage of it when you can. Um, so go to cotsbros.com, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. Go into the About tab and go down to Blog. Click on Blog. The top post says, Glands, Essence, Caster, and Carcasses Wanted. Um, and they... Uh, talk about um, how to handle them, what approximately what they're paying, and so on. Um, again, like I mentioned, they pay the shipping, but you have to contact them ahead of time so they can make arrangements. Ziploc bags do not work for shipping glands as they leak. Please send glands in plastic containers with screw-on caps. 
like bait jars, mayonnaise jars, peanut butter jars, etc. Um, glands are measured, thawed, and weigh 9 pounds per gallon. Please make sure there's no hair or fur in the glands. Uh, beaver caster fully dried. Um, oh, yeah, okay, they have a 3-pound minimum on caster, so I should have mentioned that earlier. They do have a 3-pound minimum, so um, that's... You know, it, it wouldn't make sense to pay shipping on just like uh, half a pound of caster or anything like that. But if you're sending it with other glands or essence, then that doesn't apply. But anyway, <clears throat> contact Kyle ahead of time, 80 bucks a pound. So that's pretty uh, that's pretty significant. They're buying oil sacks for a dollar a pound fully dried. Coyote glands for $80 a gallon. Red Fox, 150 a gallon. Bobcat, 200 Gray Fox 80, Badger 80, Otter 80, Mink 190 a gallon, Muskrat Glen $75 a quart from Spring Rats, Skunk Essence $18 an ounce, and they'll buy local carcasses not shipped. You gotta deliver to the door. So if you're in Illinois, that might be worth looking into. Um, and uh, they'll buy beaver, muskrat, and cats. So anyway, hope that uh, gives you another opportunity to produce a little more income from the trap line but until next time guys thanks for listening in with me i hope you had a great thanksgiving we are like right in the middle of trapping season for most of you or many of you and i hope you're getting out there enjoying yourself uh, but until next week keep on talking trapping keep on thinking trapping get out set some traps if you can we'll catch you on the next episode take care